forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take a, a, such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've told you before, and I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their, de their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they may be like His glorious body. Father, we pray that by Your Holy Spirit, You would guide our reflecting on Your Word today. May we receive Your gospel with grateful hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes preaching can be scary. Can I tell you what I fear from time to time as I step into this place in, in my life, in your lives? Not the fear of public speaking. That's not my issue. First of all, I fear that I might tone down the convicting power of God's law. When God's Word speaks directly to our sin and the consequences of our sin, there's a purpose for that. Even that is driven by His love. It's only as we come to grip with our sin that we're in any condition to hear and believe God's gracious plan to save us from our sin. Unless we felt what we've sung, Lord, I need You. I fear the possibility of crippling the ministry of God's law by not proclaiming it clearly or apologizing for it. I also fear polluting the pure and simple message of the gospel because God's plan of salvation is so simple, simple and so wondrously free, I fear that because it sounds at times too good to be true that I might put conditions on it, attach some strings that God doesn't, that instead of announcing the gift of salvation that God offers every man and woman and child who would receive it by faith, I fear I could make it sound as if the gift must be somehow earned or somehow deserved. I also fear giving the impression that every aspect of the Christian life that I'm called to teach and preach is fully realized in my life. <laughs> oh, man. That would not only be inaccurate, but potentially dangerous. For if we give the impression as Christians that we are what we aren't, we confuse and intimidate a watching world. And parents are kids. I share this this morning because in my own relationship with God, the verses that we've uh, been uh, listening to uh, today, some have troubled me, and I'm grateful for the others, which bring me great reassurance. In verses 7 through 11, Paul is describing a life that is completely and totally engrossed in the cause of Christ. 
He considers everything, he says, garbage compared to knowing Christ and, and his fullness. Paul says, I, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him even in his death. And I'm thinking, really? People have that sense of desire? Fullness of knowing Christ in that way? That's admirable. But it's also intimidating. If that what it, that's what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus and know Christ in his fullness, man, do I ever have a long way to go? <laughs> How about you? That's why the verses we share together this morning are so good and so important to hear. I hope they minister to you. Because we've been saying these days that as citizens of heaven, serving our king is not only, is, and, and the joy that we get in serving our king is not dependent on our circumstances, is not uh, dependent on, on, on doing this perfectly, but is rooted in an understanding of what Christ has done for us and responding to that, and then experiencing that grace in our relationships with the people God has placed in our lives. This morning, we're going to understand that the Christian life is about direction, not perfection. If I'm going to really experience joy in my life, I need to ask God to allow me to make these verses real in my life. And this is where it starts, with an honest admission of our imperfection and total reliance on Jesus. To me, it's like a gust of encouragement blowing into the doldrums of insecurity, to hear Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, right after describing his desire to know Christ. And believe me, Christ is the only one worthy of wanting to know fully. He's the only one worthy of saying, I wish my life was like his. I want to know him. I want him to soak into my heart. He is worthy of that. Honestly. <laughs> oh. But Paul is honest. After he says this, he says, not that I've already obtained all this <laughs> or have already been made perfect. I'm going, whew, this is sounding better now. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. What's he talking about? Paul had just said that, that, that he wants to know Christ in this intimate, full way. But he says, I'm not there yet. Paul was called by God, was serving God mightily and, and, and destined for heaven. That was the direction of his life. But we can be grateful that Paul, like any honest Christian, says, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. He had yet to experience the fullness of the knowledge of Christ that he hungered for. This coming weekend, for some of us, is important as we sacrifice a weekend to help the Department of Natural Resources manage the deer herd in our state. <laughs> yeah, some of us will do that. A few years, and we make memories. Some of them are good and some of them not so good. A few years back, we had an explosion in our deer camp. It taught me a lesson that I keep learning. No one was hurt. We took care of the damage, but it taught me an important lesson. The, the explosion was a relational explosion, and I was at the hot spot of it. 
Paul said in Galatians 5 that among the acts of the sinful nature, fits of rage is right there in the middle. He said that among the fruits of the Spirit, we find patience and self-control. <laughs> well, at the deer camp, I experienced an explosion of my anger that scared me. As I stormed out of our camp after embarrassing myself by my words and behavior, as I drove in my car and my blood pressure came back down, I realized that my old nature is so dangerously prone to sin that I desperately need a forgiving God to be in control of my life. Fortunately, the evening ended with handshakes, apologies, and assurance of forgiveness. I have yet to realize perfection. You ask Kathy, my wife, if you have any doubt. And if joy in my life depended on my perfection, it would be joyless. How about you? Have you come to grips with your imperfection? An honest admission of our imperfection and our sin has several implications. First of all, it dispels any notion that we are competing with perfect or near-perfect people for God's approval. We aren't. There's an encouraging ministry in just being honest in your relationships. I don't know how many times I've heard someone describe how God had blessed them and helped them deal with a personal struggle, and the healing and the restoring that, that took place was, was because someone else had shared and they realized they were not alone in their pain or their frustration or their guilt. Honesty with God and one another is not an option. It's essential to the life that God has called us to as citizens of heaven. Luther's first... By the way, what did Luther do that changed the course of history? He went to the church in his community and he nailed on the church door... We'd have to tape it on the door now. He nailed it on the door... 95 things that he thought the church needed to address to get back on track. We call it the 95 Theses. And this was the first one. The whole Christian life is a continual repentance. Hmm. John the Apostle wrote it this way. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Christian is not perfect in herself. But like Paul, by God's grace, we can say, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. This is where I am. I can honestly admit it. Fullness in Christ is, is where I'd love to be, where God desires me to be. So in between, I have room to run, to grow, to live, to learn, to change, to press on. How can this be a joyful experience? Well, first, we forget what is behind. We forget what is behind, Paul says. Tim Timmons and Steve Arterburn, in their book, Hooked on Life, From Stuck <laughs> to Starting Over, he gives us a helpful way of understanding this. How big is the rearview mirror 
in your life? I'm just going to ask that question. See, when we drive a car, it's important to be aware of what's around us and anticipate what's ahead. It's so important to have clear vision through the windows and the windshield. And a small portion of our windshield, however, is obstructed by a rearview mirror. So we can benefit from time to time by seeing what's behind us, for example, before we change lanes. Focusing, however, on the road ahead as our main focus, right? There's a reason the windshield is much bigger than the rearview mirror. For it is more important to drive anticipating and preparing for the road ahead than constantly looking behind. It'd be difficult and even dangerous if the rearview mirror filled the whole windshield. Timmons and Arterburn say many people are living their lives through oversized rearview mirrors of the past. The reality before them is obstructed because their focus is on where they've been, what they've done and how they look, it consumes most of their attention. Thank God for the cross, for its power of forgiveness, where the stuff we can leave there and how it shrinks the rearview mirror. God desires that we allow the healing touch of his forgiveness to free us from focusing on the past and getting on with life, wiser, humbler, more sensitive, and closer to Him. When we strain towards what's ahead, when we press on, without a doubt, Paul gives us the impression that the Christian life is a journey, it's a process, that our lives have a direction. We never arrive here. That's awaiting us. We're on a journey. When I think of being on a journey, every chapter in that journey is important. Ivers is important. Those of you on the worship team that are in college, yours is important. Young families, empty nesters. And even later, one of my heroes is Leona. Leona had a very unique hunger to learn with the issues uh, to, to learn about God's Word. She, she had an inquisitive spirit. And she sat next to me in seminary class. She's in her 80s, going to seminary. She went through two cataract surgeries, and her goal was to not let it interrupt her passion for studying the book of Galatians. It was crazy. She inspired me as she was pressing on. A, a, a lifelong learner at that stage in her life. I was privileged to remember the day that we celebrated her reaching her goal. I was at her funeral. And we sang triumphantly, I know that my Redeemer lives. And because I had seen her in her life, I knew how much that meant now as she was in the presence of Jesus. She had been called heavenward. She was there. But more than the examples of believers, we press on because of the one who is calling us to press on. The more we learn what he's done for us, the more we learn how much he loves us, the more we learn of what he has prepared for us. Pressing on is not a striving. It's an anticipation. Anticipation. 
as we live towards the one who knows us best and loves us most. And sometimes those don't seem to go together, but they're true. He's calling us. Verses 15 and 16 help us deal with a reality that can be cause for anxiety. As Paul's talking about some of us who are more mature, not all of us are mature, as some of us are, but that's okay. We're at different points in the journey, right? As we, we're encouraged to live up to what we've already attained. I love this verse. This, it's, it's a verse for the d- discouraged perfectionist. Let me read it again. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. In other words, you'll understand that I'm right, Paul says. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> only let us live up to what we have already attained. God meets us where we are. He knows where we are. He knows we have room to grow. But we aren't loved any less than the Christian who's a bit more mature that maybe we're more than a bit jealous of. I love what Keith Miller said. As I take small, specific steps to go and do things which need doing, I realize that Christ is probably not as concerned with measuring the magnitude of my effectiveness as to whether or not I go. (laughs) We press on. And you know what? We stop and we help others that are doing that too when they stumble, right? We're concerned about those that are pressing on with us. Paul says, join with others in following my example. Take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. Christian lifestyle is best learned by example. Like little Ivor, like you if you're a new or returning Christian, we need people around us to remind us of the gospel and never perfectly, but even intentionally show us what the gospel's like and reminds us of its truth. It's more than just delivering content, although we do need to remind each other of God's words, of God's word. The gospel is in God's word. People don't need good advice. They need good news. They need to know what God has done for us, right? So, we learn uh, by the examples that we focus on, for better or worse. And there is an alternative, and that is the ways of this world. Paul says that there are some who live as enemies of the cross. There are some who would never understand the love of God that would lead him to to lay down his life for us. Our old nature understands that. Those times were self-absorbed, right? Little or no regard for how how our actions affect God or affect other people. You know, it's it's in our old nature, we're we're into loving things and using people (laughs) instead of loving people and using things. You've all heard that before. That's the ways of this world, and it's so enticing. But Paul says that's not who we are. Although sometimes we seem like it, when God called you to believe in him through his son, Jesus Christ, and accept what he's done for you, you become a citizen of heaven. Our perspective is different because our identity is different, because our standing with God is different. Though our natures are the same, we still have that struggle, our old nature anyway is, 
We've been given a new nature. We've been given the Holy Spirit by God's grace. The Philippians understood what it meant to be a citizen of a, of a remote place. Philippi was a, was a Greek city, but it was seen as a, as, as a little Rome. <laughs> it was seen as an outpost of Roman culture. It was seen as an outpost of Roman authority. You know what? Heaven is, is going to be amazing, and until then, God has appointed where his people gather as to be like little outposts of heaven, where the good news from heaven is freely proclaimed, where the goodness of heaven, never perfectly but often beautifully, is experienced, where the preaching of the cross sets us free from the bondage of our past. And the hope of the resurrection fuels our anticipation as we live towards the future. So lastly, we press on because of the hope that awaits us. The power that raised Jesus from the dead will be experienced in us as we are completely transformed into the likeness of the glorified Christ. I wonder how old I'm going to be. I have those questions when we're glorified and we're in glory. We know that we're going to be like Jesus. We'll literally experience His fullness. We will be perfect. Wow. So we're encouraged to not give up, to press on, to stand firm. Paul compares the Christian life to a race. We begin where we are when God invites us to receive His gift of salvation. He calls imperfect people to be his own. And we press on to the goal of knowing his son in his fullness. You know, I've had a little problem with this race concept. You know, by the way, the, the Olympics had been around for like eight centuries, and it was started in Greece. So when Paul's using this race thing with the Philippians, they totally get it. But as I watch races, it seems like there's some really joyful ones they're the winners. <laughs> and there's always seems to be more losers than winners, right? But that's not true of every race. I was golfing with a guy, and he had a special Olympics t-shirt on. You know where I'm going with this, right? He had a special Olympics t-shirt on. I said, are you involved with the Special Olympics? He said, yeah. I said, uh, so uh, that must be fulfilling, huh? He said, yeah. I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a hugger. I said, oh, oh you're a hugger. Yeah, I'm a hugger. He said, every participant is special in spite of their handicaps. And I'm one of the people who gets to wait at the finish line to make sure that each one in the race gets a hug when they cross the finish line. I'm a hugger. <laughs> then I understood why those kinds of races are filled with more joy than most races. Who's waiting for us? Have you come to trust Jesus? Who's waiting for you? He is. He is. Let's pray.